Well, hello, Northbrook. It's good to be here with you today. I bring you warm greetings from Eastbrook Church on the north side of Milwaukee, where I serve as the senior pastor and have for the last 10 years or so. And I want to also just bring greetings from my own family, my wife Kelly and our three sons, uh, one Isaiah who's a senior at Madison, one who's at uh, Wheaton College down in Chicagoland, and one who's a junior in high school. Uh, I've been able to develop a friendship with Mike Belanti, and I'm so thrilled to be able to be here with you today and just open the word with you. I do have to say a few things before we get going. One is that my church is a diverse church and talks back to me. And and I know I'm I'm a white dude, but I know you've had Kurt Owens here, one of my friends, and so I know maybe you can get out of your uh, norm and, and uh, give me some amens and talk back sometime. Keep going, bro, from time to time. Just give me something back because that's just part of the way that, that we work at Eastbrook. Let's pray as we uh, draw near to Scripture together. Just bow with me if you would. Thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. Thank you that you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God who is almighty and holy and yet is also a God who draws near to us with tender love and abounding mercy. Lord, we ask that in each and every one of our lives you would speak to us. Right where we are, whatever's happening, that God, we would hear your voice and see your face today. Father, would you do a work in our midst that we would walk away from this time knowing through the the worship and song, through prayer, through our time together around your word that we have met with you, the living God. And I pray always, Lord, that you would give me grace, that I can grow small and decrease, Lord, so that you would grow large in our eyes. You would increase and be the center of this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you remember the Olympics in 2004 in Athens, Greece. I don't know if you remember the men's basketball at that 2004 Olympics and who won the gold medal. You might be tempted to think that it was Team USA that won that gold medal, especially when you hear the names of some of the people on the roster. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Allen Iverson, Tim Duncan, Carmelo Anthony. You might think that Team USA in 2004 won the Olympic gold medal, but you would be wrong. It was, as you remember, Argentina. No, you didn't remember that. Argentina won the gold medal in men's basketball that year, and Italy won the silver. And though for most countries to get a medal at all would be wonderful news, Team USA was ashamed to bring the bronze medal home. Everybody expected that they would win, but it was a wake-up call for the men's basketball in the Olympics. One writer describes it this way. No longer could a team made up of NBA stars win on talent alone. International basketball, with its team-oriented mindset, had shown that on this particular stage, chemistry, focus, and discipline were king. You can kind of hear a little cut there against Team USA. Not disciplined, not focused, no team chemistry, not a team-oriented mindset. Now, whether you're talking about sports or orchestra, international relief, or something closer to home like a sales team or something in a high school club, 
you know that if you assemble some stars, you can probably accomplish great things in those endeavors, but we all have experienced the reality that many times you can take a group of nobodies who may not seem like they're stars, and the sum working together is greater than the individual parts. You can see sometimes that when everyone works together for a greater goal, is united, that something wonderful can happen beyond expectation. But we all see, like with Team USA and the 2004 Olympic men's basketball, that sometimes if you don't work together, you're remembered more for what you didn't accomplish, for your failures, than you are for what you did accomplish. And sometimes the church can be like this too. Sometimes, I'm sure this never happens at Northbrook, maybe just other churches, right? Sometimes we're less united as a church and sometimes conflicts can arise that we begin to stumble over one another and sometimes the church too can be remembered more for our failures than for our effectiveness, It's unfortunate, I think, today that if you were to go into any major city in the USA and walk up to groups of people on the street and ask them, what do you think of when you think of the church? I hate to say that many people in secular cities would say, we know the church for what it's against. We know the church for who the church doesn't like or who the church hates. And maybe not all that's true, but if we're going to be a united church sent out on mission, then we might need to come back to some basics, some focus, and get some team chemistry so that we can move forward as a united church on mission. Today, as we continue this series that Mike uh, started a couple weeks ago, and Mike Moran was here last week, I want to talk about what it looks like for the church to be united and sent out on mission. And to do that, I want to bring us back to some basics, some focus points for the church. One in the Old Testament in Genesis 12, and then two others that fit together out of the teaching of Jesus and see how these can help us as a church move forward on mission together. Are you out there, Northbrook? Oh, thank you so much. Okay, look with me at Genesis chapter 12. It's going to be on the screens. You can turn there in your Bibles to this important pivotal passage in the Hebrew Bible. Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3 begins the story in a very special way of God's work with humanity. It leads to the uh, establishment of the nation known as Israel and sets the foundation for the church who is to come through Jesus Christ. God is speaking to Abraham here and he says in Genesis 12, go from your country your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now this is the first time that a conversation is recorded between God and Abraham called Abram here. He's renamed by God later. And Abraham is hearing something entirely new from God. First, God tells Abraham that he's going to bless him. Bless him beyond his understanding. Now, we may have great plans for our lives or hopes for our lives, but most of us, probably like Abraham, wouldn't imagine that God is going to establish a new nation through us, right? Those are, that's pretty big dreams. But God says he's going to call Abraham away from, out of certain things, and then lead him into some new things. He's going to call him out of his homeland. He's going to call him away from his family. 
He's going to call him away from the cultural context, maybe even language that he knows. He's going to call him away from what's familiar and secure. And though it might seem like God is taking everything away from Abraham, the second part of that is that we hear that God is going to give Abraham more, lead him into some new things. He's going to become a new nation. He's going to be called into new blessing from God. His name is going to become great even in the sight of the nations and the nations are going to be blessed through him. All these things are cascading new blessings that are going to be poured out upon Abraham. And the most important blessing that he's going to get is this. He is going to get God. He's going to get God, which is the most important thing. To be known by God, to know God is the most superior blessing that we can experience And while we might need to be aware that there's something called the prosperity gospel that tells us, you know, God's just going to bless you. He's going to give you whatever you want. There's still a truth in scripture that we need to settle into. It's this, that God wants to bless us. Can I just ask you to say that with me? God wants to bless us. And that feels a little bit general. So can I, can I ask you to say God wants to bless me? God wants to bless me. And if that just felt incredibly uncomfortable for you to say out loud, that might be the most important thing you hear today. That in your life, the God of the universe wants to not only know you, but wants to bless your life. It may take a different shape than you expect. I mean, that was what happened to Abraham. But God wants to lavish his blessing, his goodness, his greatness, his presence upon our lives. Abraham could settle into that new reality that the blessing of God was going to come down upon his life. What an amazing reality. And that's the first part of this promise we see in Genesis 12 that's tied in with the United Church on Mission is that the church is a people that's blessed by God. But there's a second part of it we need to come back to in verses 2 and 3 here. It says, God speaking, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. First part, God wants to bless us. And the second part, God's promise that Abraham will experience blessing that will then cascade out of his life and touch others. He's blessed by God in order that he can be a blessing to others. This is a fundamental truth of the church that's united and sent on mission. We are a community of people who on the one hand have been blessed by God. If you woke up this morning with breath in your lungs and blood pumping through your veins, you have the gift of life and that's a gift from God. Your employment is a gift from God. The schooling and the education you get, though it may not feel like it sometimes, students, it is a gift from God. The free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ by faith is a gift, a blessing from God. It says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. It says that in James chapter 1. All of these things and beyond that we receive life with God, a God who wants to know us and relate to us and be known by us. We have been blessed. And then on the other hand, we are blessed in order to be a blessing. And so every blessing God pours into our life that we can savor, yes, savor it, but is also a vehicle, a conduit for his blessing. Your finances 
our apartments and our houses, our, our cars, our trucks, our education, our talents, our abilities, whatever you might say and have as a blessing, that is intended to be given by God, not just for you to savor, but please do that, that's a gift, but also that it might become a conduit of God's blessing. We can summarize it this way, we are blessed by God in order that we can be a blessing to others. Can you say it with me? We are blessed by God in order that we might be a blessing to others. This is what it means to be the church sent on mission. This is what it means to be the church sent on mission. I heard that amen. Thank you. And what's interesting about Abraham is that, in a sense, he's a nobody. He's a nobody who leaves his home culture and language and comes to a new place doesn't understand what's going on, probably, doesn't speak the language, and is called by God to be a blessing. And here's some good news, everybody. God is still in the business of taking nobodies, ordinary people, and using them for his purposes, his mission in the world. And I don't know how you felt when you woke up this morning. I don't know how you felt about yourself. I don't know if you think of yourself as extraordinary or ordinary, But the truth is, we're kind of nobodies, but we're nobodies who are somebody to God. And God can use nobodies like us for his kingdom purposes. We've been blessed by God in order to be a blessing to others. That's a foundational focused truth that we need to have in front of us if we're going to move forward as a united church in mission. But here's the thing. I mean, that sounds great. Put it on a t-shirt or something like that. But you could ask yourself, what does it really look like to be a church that's blessed to be a blessing. What does it look like to be a Christian, a disciple of Jesus who's following Jesus? And, and I like to put before us two teachings of Jesus that I think give some, uh, I don't know, framing for what it looks like to be a person on mission with God, blessed to be a blessing. There are two teachings of Jesus that are extraordinarily important to have in our minds as Christians, and they fit together in a complementary way. They They kind of intersect with each other, and the church that's united on mission is a church that lives at that intersection of these two teachings of Jesus. The first one is known as as the Great Commandment, And, and we find it in Matthew 22 at a place where Jesus is being slowly interrogated by religious leaders, and one of these religious leaders, an expert of the law, asked Jesus a question He says to Jesus, teacher, this is Matthew 22, beginning in verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's a shorthand for Jesus saying all of what God has revealed. It hangs on this. These two things that fit together. And inside this greatest commandment, there's sort of three movements that are there. We're not going to focus on all of them for the purpose of the message today, but there's an upward movement, our relationship with God, to love him with all of who we are. And then there's an implicit inward movement, our appropriation of God's love for us, an appropriate Self-love. If you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, you have to take in God's love for you. So there's an upward movement, an inward movement, and then there's that outward movement of loving our neighbors. Now, I just want to focus on that outward movement, and it's, it's not because the other ones aren't important. They're really important. But for us to talk about being a church on mission, 
we need to understand what it means to move out with love for our neighbor as ourselves. I love some of the things you're involved with, Northbrook, here in your immediate vicinity and around the world. I was having a conversation with uh, Mike and, and Pam and hearing about the things that you have stepped forward with to care for the Afghan refugees who have come to our own state. I love hearing about the ways that you're doing that. You're a church that is moving beyond ourselves, but I want to bring that into focus for us again. And when I was uh, working with an organization called World Relief, I was working as the Africa desk officer with the regional director and sub-Saharan African programs internationally. And our president used to say, we're doing this for Jesus, but when someone's dying, the most important thing we can do is step forward to embody the love of Jesus so that they can hear the truth about Jesus. He would sometimes say this, nobody cares about the truth of Jesus if they're going to die right in that moment sometimes. Now, you may disagree with, with what he said, but I can tell you when I went to southern Sudan and washed people in, in the famine that happened early in the 2000s, watched them walking mile upon mile to get to a feeding station, You don't hold up the four spiritual laws when someone's about to die in front of you. You make sure they get food and water in a tangible way so that they can begin that journey if you have that resource right in that moment. There are certainly deathbed situations and those sorts of things. That's not what I'm talking about. But a person wants to see your faith before they hear about it many times. And when Jesus says that we are to move forward with love for our neighbors as ourselves, he's putting before us one of his foundational teachings that we as the united church sent on mission have to move in the love of God in a tangible way. Whether it's Richfield or Germantown or Milwaukee or wherever we might be around the world, our faith and love cannot simply be something we talk about. It needs to be something people see. It needs to be real. It needs to move into action. But there's, of course, another side to that as well. The great teaching of the great commandment is complemented by Jesus' teaching at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, known as the Great Commission, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As you go, there's motion here. Wherever you're going, wherever you're headed, Jesus says there's motion and then there's transformation. Introduce people to me. Make disciples, make learners or apprentices of me, Jesus says, and then there's a proclamation. Teach them everything that I have taught you. Motion, transformation, proclamation rooted in Jesus, who is the Savior and the teacher of God's truth. The calling of Jesus here in the Great Commission calls us to be disciple makers, calls us to introduce people to Jesus that they might find salvation and find the abundant life in him through his life, death, and resurrection. And while we want our faith to move into action, at the very same time, we want our faith to overflow with proclamation about Jesus. We want people to hear about Jesus. We want people to be introduced to the living Jesus. And so what Jesus is telling us with the great commandment and the great commission is that we need word and deed. 
We need proclamation and demonstration. And the United Church that's sent forth on mission, blessed to be a blessing, is a church that lives at the intersection of word and deed, proclamation and demonstration, the great commandment and the great commission. If we are blessed to be a blessing, that's what it looks like. Those things brought together. We must have these things as we move out into our families, neighborhoods, schools, and around the world. And we see this in Jesus Christ. One of the most amazing things about Jesus is he lives this out. He teaches the truth about God and he heals people. He gives evangelistic messages in a sense and he delivers people from demons. Jesus speaks to people's physical life, emotional life, mental life, spiritual life. He brings the whole thing together. You can hear about it in Matthew 4.23, where we read that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus wasn't either or. He was both and, bringing together word and deed He had a united message. He was a whole savior. He has come to do great things. And so the church that lives as Jesus' people, Jesus' community, needs to reflect that same reality as well. We need to live in the fullness of Jesus' mission and life. We are blessed by God to be a blessing to others, and so we should bring the great commission and the great commandment, word and deed, together. But if you've read things people say about the church today, you realize sometimes we don't get this right. Sometimes we get it wrong, and the evil one loves to do this. He loves to skew us in one direction so that we take something that's important and we make it the only thing. And what happens is we develop a lopsided Christianity. It's like riding a bicycle with one pedal. You can do it, but it's going to be a lot of work. You can try to be a powerful church just with proclamation or just with demonstration, but it's going to be a lot of work. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to have both pedals moving together so that as we move in the blessing of God, we can bring forth the blessing of God in the world. Lopsided Christianity, it just, it just doesn't work. And so... When our faith is lopsided only towards proclamation, many times the church becomes, uh, it's like not credible anymore. People want to see it, not just hear about it. And if we're just moving in demonstration, just in the love, but there's no proclamation, we're lopsided as well. And we have evacuated our love of the power that's found in Jesus the Savior. We need to bring both of those things together. When we get it right, when we have that focus and the team chemistry is happening, the church is greater than the sum of its parts. That's what a united church is supposed to look like. It's an attractive thing when you see the church like that. There's a church historian named Rodney Stark And in his book, The Rise of Christianity, he talks about when in the Roman Empire, in the mid-2nd to mid-3rd centuries, there were a series of plagues that came upon the Roman Empire. And at that time, you probably know, if you know the history of the church, Christianity was a persecuted minority. 
It was not an accepted religion, and if you became a Christian, it would oftentimes be at risk of your lives and definitely social ostracism. But when these plagues began to come down, it's the wealthy Romans who had means, and this is not the Christians, moved away from the city centers, and in that moment, the church, poor and persecuted, didn't have the option to go someplace else. They just stayed. And as people were beginning to get sick, the Christians living out a united mission in Jesus' name, word and deed, seeing those who were sick began to care for them, sometimes dying as they cared for them. They saw those who were dying on the streets left by their families to fend for themselves, and the Christians at this point in the Roman Empire began to take those people into their own homes. And so the people who had been persecutors began to see in their persecuted Christian neighbors a love that came from God that was transformational. And as they experienced that care, they also began to hear about the reason why these people were doing this, that there was a God who exists, who loved human beings enough to enter in and bring his best blessing to humanity in Jesus the Messiah. And Rodney Stark says that this moment, this emphasis of Christians being present and showing up at a time even when they were persecuted, this eventually turned Christianity from a rejected religion to an accepted religion, all the way to the fact that eventually Emperor Constantine became baptized as a Christian himself. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. Christianity in our culture is moving to the periphery. You can like that, you can hate that, you can disregard it, but I'm telling you, you see it in the cities. We're coming into a moment where the church is known more for what it's failed at than what it's effectively lived out, and it's a good moment for us as the people of God to come back and say, what does it look like to be sent on mission? What does it look like for us to regain that fire, that passion from the living God to bring together word and deed. I think at least in part it does look like a church using both the pedals and making it real in our lives. I think it looks like a church who shows up when no one else will show up. A church that moves forward in action when no one else will move forward. A church that chooses to be present in the conversations and in the places where people do not want to be. The church moves in and says, we are here because there's a God who exists, who wants to pour out his blessing on humanity and he's done it in Jesus and we are willing to put our lives where our mouths are and live that out in our everyday lives. Living at the intersection. Living into that mission that God has given us to be. Northbrook, I know that you're a church that has lived this out in so many ways and if I had a huge container of Holy Spirit gasoline, I'd want to just pour that over the fire that's already here so it would just like go crazy. I don't have a Holy Spirit container of Holy Spirit gasoline. I don't even know what that is. But I do know this, that the Lord loves a people who come empty-handed to him and just say, Lord, here we are. We know we're nobodies, but we know you're somebody. Take us in your hands. And send us where you'd have us go. 
in walking in your blessing, we will be a blessing wherever we set our feet. So Northbrook, may you continue to be a people like that. May the churches in the greater Milwaukee and southeastern Wisconsin area be united in mission for the glory of God on earth. May God deliver us from lopsided Christianity so that we might step forward with him for his glory in the world. Can I get an amen there? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we are so grateful for who you are. Lord, there are some of us today just here in this moment who need to simply hear that you're a God who wants to bless us. And so, Lord, would you reinvigorate us with that great love and mercy that you've poured out through Jesus Christ? Would you do a work in us again, Lord, where we know that we are loved by you? that you have a purpose for our lives. Lord, just minister that into those of us who are in that place right now. And Lord, we also ask that for those of us who have received your blessing and yet it has become stopped up like a dam has held it in for ourselves, would you dismantle that dam that the blessing would pour out of us, that others might taste and see that you are Set us free, Lord. That like Abraham and Sarah and many other great saints of times past, we too might live for your glory on earth. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.